prayer service today, uh, prepared by our Ten Strike youth, and so we're looking forward to that. And also remember, if you didn't get a baby bottle last week, they're on the Welcome Center desk. Those are for the Northwoods Pregnancy Center. And uh, we'll return them by the last Sunday of July. And then also, we have our uh, building fund giving opportunity here report. Uh, we're coming right down the home stretch here. We're going to be doing some final things that we didn't get done originally, but then also we have uh, some maintenance things on the 68 building, the one built in 68, and then also the sign, the highway sign that we're going to have, and I think we have a picture of that. Uh, it's a Photoshop type picture of what that will look like, um, which we can put scripture on, which it's going to be an outreach to the community. Things like, uh, well, we would have had that Brother Gerald was going to be here this week, those kind of things. Hundreds of cars come past, and this is an opportunity for you to sow a seed into this. As you can tell, we're down now to just, we started out $35,000, now it's just five, less than five and a half thousand left. So um, that opportunity, if you would like to sow into that, it's still there. There is a scripture we have this morning from Proverbs 3, 27 and 28 from the Personalized Promise Bible that my mom uses a lot. And by the way, mom is back today. Grandma's back. If you didn't know, she was dealing with shingles for a couple weeks here, but the Lord has lifted that off from her. But here's the scripture. I give honor to whom honor is due. I do not hold back good things. When good things are placed within my power, I distribute them with justice and equity. I do not put off giving when the gift is within my hand. I thought that was neat the way that put that. Um, as you know, we don't normally pass a plate we want for our giving today, our tithes and offerings. Later on, we will be passing a plate for the Dursteins, but our boxes are on the back there where you can place your offerings, but we just pray over them now. In Jesus' name, all the funds that are sown into your kingdom work, Lord, given from a cheerful heart, not just givers, but cheerful givers, Lord. That's what we desire to be. That's what we are. We're cheerful givers. And we're so thankful that you are, have taught and are teaching us that it is more blessed, blessed to give than even to receive. And so we give today in Jesus' name. A few other things. Uh, Ron Mandrell, father of Scott Mandrell, brother of Marilyn Glidden, is uh, at home still, and we continue to pray for him uh, as he's dealing with, I, th I guess it was a tick-borne disease type thing affecting his heart. We pray for him. And then also, Kent and Chantel, Doug and Abby, um, Rod Rock, I believe, is with them. The team, Bended Knee, is ministering in Hinkley, Minnesota today. 
and they ask for our prayers. And um, Lord, we do lift them up before you too as they're traveling and as they're going to be ministering there in Hinckley, Minnesota today. Lord, we pray that there will be lives that are touched for eternity there as the ministry goes forth with the Dudleys and with their whole team there today. And keep them safe, get them home safely, we pray. We just cover them in prayer in Jesus' name. Also, there will be a benefit for uh, a spaghetti dinner fundraiser. It's uh, in support of the Jim and Cindy Swedberg family. Uh, Cindy, who passed away here a few weeks ago. But it's this today from 5 to 7 at the Black Duck Public School. And Bob and Adam, if you could come up here now. Bob Bush, Adam Sharon are going to share about an event that is very significant, I believe, very important coming. Why don't you just come up here? Coming to Bemidji, which we're going to be a part of. And uh, we'll let you share that. Okay. We just had a switch on the way up here, so I have to readjust my thoughts. But um, <laughs> years ago, I met this guy, and we would go and we would do some, before it was even known to be prayer walking, I think, you know, we, we would walk together, we would pray together. And one day, Adam said, I want to go on site with insight. And I always hung with me all these years. But now here's your opportunity to be a part of something that is phenomenal that's going on in our community, Revive Minnesota. Actually, even tabbing it up, Revive Headwaters, Minnesota. So this is something a lot of us have been praying for for years, and it's just taken off like wildfire. We had a meeting uh, at First Baptist. There was a launch meeting on the 21st. We had many, uh, so many different denominations. And it was really awesome. But I'm going to have Adam share his part, and then I'll come back and share what I'll be a part of. Well, part of the lead-up to um, the Revive Headwaters event in July is 21 days of prayer and fasting. And of those 21 days, the first seven were, are dedicated to prayer walking. And so we've already spent two days prayer walking in, in the Bemidji area. And today is day number three. We would like to invite all of you to come and join us on the streets in Bemidji at 1.45 today. We'll meet in the Lucan's North um, uh, parking lot as we start out. Or if you'd like a 10-minute introduction to what prayer walking is all about, you can come at 1.30 and we'll do that. Otherwise, 1.45 we'll go out and... What we're doing is we're meeting in a different place each day, starting from a different point, so that we can systematically cover the whole city of Bemidji. And this is basically pre-evangelism prayer. We're going out there asking the Lord to, uh, to soften the hearts of the people that they would be ready for this outreach in July. Um, yeah, it's very simple. You don't have to have any experience in doing this. You just need to be somebody who knows the Lord and you're willing to, uh, to go out into the streets and pray that God is addressed and the people are blessed. Yes, Monday, I, is it, I don't know if we have it up here or not, but um, Monday will be in Cameron Park, but that's at 6.30, right? 
I thank you. I, it's actually not on this one either, but. Um, <laughs> Yes, it's if you if you can find the Revive Minnesota Bemidji Headwaters Facebook page. I'm not in charge of that. <laughs> we, yeah, we probably can do that, but also we can send it out in, in an announcement that we can put on the email and Facebook. Yeah, yeah, we could put it on the Facebook page. Okay, that'd be great. That'd be great. So that's all I had. Okay. Well, that what's exciting about this whole event is the unity that's been developing. We've got 16 churches and counting right now, a part of this, all the way from meals to uh, one part that, that will come up also on the website is my name and number. And there's two locations where you can have intentional prayer 24-7. We've got two locations that's opened up their doors to 24-7. But if you just talk to me individually, if you have that on your heart to do. Um, and so, so that was one of the segments. And then what Adam shared is just, just powerful. I mean, I've been on those prayer walks. Please come if you can. This is not a, I don't believe this is a one-shot deal. There's 21 days of prayer and fasting, and it takes 21 days to change or break a habit. Why not, when we have intentional prayer in the entire Northland, why not bring that change and revival in our own personal lives so that we can change the world? And uh, Gerald, you came here at such a time as this. I, we're going 28 days, Gerald, and we're going to have meetings every night all the way from prayer walking. And then this is what we'll get into. Our church has been blessed with the opportunity to launch these uh, prayer and worship nights. And it's going to start on the 29th from 6.30 to 8 every night. But there's going to be a, church, a different church every single night. And they'll have their worship flavor. And then we'll have some prayer breakout sessions where we pray for revival for our community. So as you can see, you know, 31 years of being here, myself personally, seeing the opportunity. And, this is, and they're preaching this is not a flash in the pan. So we also are talking about the remnant at the end of all this too. How does this look? And I know God's going to start stirring in people's hearts. Whatever part you can be, if you can sit at home and pray for revival, intentional prayer is happening in the Northland right now. The fire of God is here right now, and it's go time. It's go time. It was go time some 50-plus years ago. It was go time. Follow the fire. The fire of God is being released to our communities. Grab a hold of it. Say, well, I'm too busy. I can't do this. That's not my thing. Try it out. Check it out. Do what you can. Because there's a part for everybody in this. Okay. And Thanks, Bob and Adam. So this Friday night, right here at 6.30, will be that first meeting. It's a prayer meeting. We'll have praise and worship and then prayer at 6.30 here. And um, then we as a church will be hosting meals on the first Monday night, which is, this is in July, so we'll give you that again later, but uh, that's going to be at the Mount Zion Church, and then here on the Wednesday, and I don't have the dates for that right in front of me here, but you can check that out on our, we'll get it on our Facebook. So, 
Thank you, Lord. Um, Brother Gerald, I'm so thankful that you're here with us today, and your new wife, Shirley, and uh, Steve also. Gerald, I remember him walking through the door over 30 years ago here. That's when he was quite a young man yet, in his 50s. You were like in your 50s when you first came here. And he's, and he's been an example, he and his wife Beulah, and now I'm sure Shirley will be also just examples to Joyce and I, I know, and to probably many of you. I know many of you have been blessed at Strawberry Lake and uh, where there were camps all summer long. We had a lot of youth camps there, but also our folks go on there during the summer and always very blessed. Joyce and I have tried to have a time when we were able to sit down with Gerald and Bela, or just Gerald the last while, um, just to talk and to share about what's going on in our lives, in our hearts. And he's been a mentor and he's imparted things to us that have been so helpful. And he always has just kind of been there for us to shoot an email or, or whatever. And uh, Gerald, in a recent letter, he says, we are not, I am re not retired. Shirley and I are not retired. We're fully engaged in worldwide missions for Jesus Christ. And we're currently on an extensive ministry tour throughout the United States and Canada. And so here we are. And so let's just give a greeting, a warm greeting to both, all three of them here. Well, good morning, everybody. God bless you. I feel so honored to be back here again, to be with you in 10 Strike. In fact, it was easy for me to be crying up here on the bench, watching the dancers and this music and the singing, the praise by the young people. God bless you. It's so beautiful. We're living in a most wonderful time. I know some of you people think I'm getting old. And that was my thought some years ago when I was kind of old. But I prayed to the Lord to renew my youth as the eagle. And a couple of years ago, he let something happen to me that changed the course of my life in a big way. First of all, my wife passed on and fell asleep, went to heaven. Then a month after that, they had to... Uh, rushed me to the hospital as I had a quad heart bypass. That's four of my arteries that were clogged, and I was dying from a heart attack. And it was through that that when the, the surgeon took my heart out of me, cut me in half, I mean, he sawed me down the middle. That's what they told me. I didn't remember that, but I was sleeping, I think, at the time. But they... Uh, <laughs> took my heart out and hung it up on a pulley and chain and worked on it for six hours. <laughs> Wonderful. Anyway, had me on a machine for that length of time, and I, they put me back together again. I mean, I was a sight. I saw a picture of what I looked like when I was on the operating table, 
And uh, I don't remember that, except when they were pouring the tubes out of me. I remember some of that. But anyway, since that time, things have been changing in my life dramatically. And one thing I'm discovering as I get older, uh, I'm seeing the scriptures more clearly. I'm understanding things I didn't understand quite as well before. So there's a real blessing in getting older. And thank you for that amen. Some people are not sure about that, but wait your turn. When you get there, you'll understand it. Uh, by the way, before I go into my message, I want to let you know, I, some of you remember I played the organ over at Christian Retreat down at Strawberry Lake. And finally, somebody prevailed upon me, why don't you put it on recording? And so I made a CD of my organ playing. I some, brought some with me here, if you would like a copy of it. I'm not very good at it, but I enjoy doing it. I never learned how to play, but I play anyhow. You don't have to know how to do things right. God just expects you to do it. There actually is not a right way to do things from God's point of view. Do you know why? Because from God's point of view, he doesn't do anything wrong. Not a thing. God doesn't do anything wrong, which means whatever he does, he doesn't do it right either. You're not sure about that? It's only in the eyes of the beholder, humanity, people, they decide it's right. If somebody else did it in a certain way and they became successful with what they did, and then they put it into a book, and then you're supposed to read what the book says, and if you do it the way they did it, then you did it right. No, what God's looking for is not the right way. God is looking for obedience, just to be obedient. You don't have to do it right. He just wants you to do it. <laughs> I like that, because almost everything I accomplished in my almost 90 years of living, I haven't done, I don't think I did anything right, but I did a lot of stuff, I did a lot of things, and God blessed me in what I've done, and I praise God for that. So I have some of those videos, I mean, they're not videos, they're CDs with me, and I brought some of my books, Fire Over Israel, and by the way, I'm going to Israel again this October. If any of you would like to go with me to Israel, my 55th time, five, five, 55 times going to Israel, I know Israel like I know the back roads of Minnesota. I've been to Israel so many times. I've rented cars when I've been over there, and I've been on a lot of the bus tours. But we're going to take our, my 55th trip. A lot of the families over there that I became closely related and, and, and acquainted with, they want me to come again and talk with them, because many of them thought I may never come back again. And honestly, a few years ago, I thought I'd never get back to Israel again also, because a few years ago, I was kind of an old person. Maybe the last time I was here, I was here with a cane. I might have walked up to your podium with a cane at that time. I had arthritis in my left hip, and I was in great pain all the time with arthritis. you ever hear of arthritis? It's not very pleasant when you have that. And I found myself saying, ouch, when it would hurt a whole lot. And I would even groan and moan sometimes. And my wife would hear that. And one day I thought about it. I thought, that's not even biblical to say ouch when it hurts. You can't find that in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Not even the book of Acts. None of the apostles ever said if it hurts, say ouch. And here I was saying ouch when it would hurt. When pain would all of a sudden shoot into my side. I'd, 
I'd yell, ouch, or I'd groan or moan. So I prayed once, I said, God, what should I do if it hurts? And that's not a bad question to ask God. You're going to ask God any question, and he may answer you with a good answer. Well, he told me, yes, Gerald, what you should do is we're do what the Scripture says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. We sing, we sing, sing that Bible verse, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. So I found myself, I told Buell and my wife, I said, from now on, if you hear me saying, thank you, Jesus, because by his stripes I was healed. Every time it hurts, I'm not going to go out or groan or moan. I'm going to praise God. So I, when it hurts, you go, hallelujah, glory to God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. If it hurt a whole lot, if it hurt really much, I'd get much louder. But honestly, I only had to do that two days. It was the second day I was walking across under the trees in Strawberry Lake. I discovered my back was straight. I couldn't find no pain. It was totally gone by just praising God every time it hurt. What God is looking for is he wants us to believe that his word is true. And if we act out his word, where his word says, by whose stripes ye were healed, not are getting healed. So if I would speak up and say words that would prove to God that I believe I was already healed. So I believe my praises to God at that time proved to God that I was believing his word. In fact, I discovered that's an, that's an explanation of the word truth. I used to think I knew what the truth was. I thought if I would memorize John 3:16 and keep it up in my mind and say I have that memorized, I'd be believing the truth. That's not the true answer or the definition of the word truth. To, to, to actually do the truth, you act out what the word says, not what you store up in your brain. If you store it up in your brain, that's information. That's knowledge. That's not necessarily the truth. The truth is a life. Jesus said, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. Right? Well, Jesus is a spirit, and the truth is actually a spirit, the spirit of truth. <clears throat> and so when you act on what you believe. While you're acting it, while you're doing it, you're doing the truth. The truth is an action. It's not knowledge. It's not information. Information can guide you to do the truth, but when you're doing truth, you're actually acting out what the Word says to do. And while you're doing it, God will fulfill His Word, fulfill His, His, His ways. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to share a word with you that impressed Brother uh, Steve Pump, your pastor. Uh, I appreciate Pastor Steve and Sister Joyce. God bless you. Thank you for inviting me back again to Ten Strike. And I always, felt, always feel good around here. I feel like you're part of my family. We're in family together. But I was talking with him one time at Strawberry Lake about the altar of God. Where is the altar of God? Because in my many years of ministry at Strawberry Lake and in Florida, and all over, the, all over the world, in fact, I see so many preachers, they preach the Word of God to the congregation, and then after they're done preaching the Word, they say, now, after we receive the offering, or we're going to let some of you be dismissed if you want, we're going to have an altar call. 
going to bring you to the altar and we're going to pray for you and God's going to bless you. So the preacher is like God to the people. And that was beginning to bother me the older I get. I'd see that over and over again because I'd see the same people come to the altar year after year, maybe even week after week. And I thought, that don't seem to be the most accurate truth to have the altar between the podium, the pulpit, and the congregation. So people think that they want to wait till the preacher got done talking about God's word so they're going to have God to bless them at the altar. Come up to the altar and be blessed. And God began to reveal to me and tell me, show me where the true altar of God is located. Are you ready for this? The true altar of God is not in that space between the front row and the, and the, and the podium. But I want to give you some scripture to back that up. I have some scripture jotted down here. And what caused me to study that, that particular truth is, is the word that I found in John. I have it right here. I have it jotted down here. In John chapter 6 and verse 28. The disciples and Jesus were having somewhat of an argument when uh, they were telling, or when Jesus told the disciples not to worry about what clothes they should wear, what kind of food they should eat, that, that God would take care of them. And then uh, because they were trying hard to do the right thing through their works, try, trying to work hard to please Jesus. And then finally, the disciples asked in verse number 28 in chapter 6 of uh, John, St. John. Let me get my glasses. Anyway, I can read it here. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And then I've, I've read the whole chapter, the, the rest of that, and it's very interesting to me to discover that God really intended for us to understand that when you're born again, you have acquired the very nature of God. I can make it even more intimate than that. You have actually acquired the DNA of God. When you receive Jesus into your life, God comes into your life for real. You didn't just become acquainted with extra knowledge about God, but God himself chose to quicken your spirit and connect with your spirit, his spirit and your spirit, and you become literally born again. Like I was born the first time a Durstein. And uh, I'm still a Durstein, by the way. Even though I'm almost 90 years old. I'll be 90 on my next birthday. But I'm an older Durstein. But I have the DNA of my father, whose name was Willis Durstein. And it's amazing to me, when I stop and think of it, that people back in those days when I was first born, born an infant boy, a male, a male, I was born a boy. And people honestly thought, when I was a little infant baby boy, that I'd become a man. Can you imagine that? People would think that when you're just a little infant, that someday that little infant would become an adult man. And little girl, when, I, when, when she is born, she'll become an adult lady sometime. But people still believe that today. And the people back in that day, they believed that when I would grow up and become a man, I'd be a lot like my father, Willis. But they named me Gerald. 
and that all my lifetime I take on the characteristics of a Durstein. <laughs> That's kind of funny, isn't it? To realize that people believe that. And then when I was a little boy and I wasn't doing the correct thing, some would be, uh, try to be nice to me and say, now you should not keep doing it that way. You want to be a big boy, don't you, Gerald? Be like your big brother, like your big uncle. You want to be a bigger boy, don't you? Yes, I want to be a bigger boy. And because people would say, don't stay a little boy, become a big boy. And I'd look at the bigger boys and I'd say, yeah, I want to become like that. And I believed them. And that would encourage me to become a big boy. And then when I became a bigger boy, they said, you don't want to keep doing it that way. You want to become a young man. Someday you're going to become a young man. You want to be a young man, don't you? Yes, I want to be a young man, not just a big boy. But I'm getting closer and closer to become like my dad, my father, Willis. But when I was a little infant, people believed I'm going to be like Willis someday, not like a Jones or like a pump or like some other name. I'm going to be a Durstein because I have the DNA of my father in me. So why do we think it'd be difficult for us to believe that when we became born again, that we may have acquired the DNA of Jesus? Are you going to allow yourself to believe that someday you can actually become like Jesus while you're living here in Minnesota where you're required to pay taxes? I think most of us believe that we can become like Jesus when we get out of here and go to heaven. Maybe in heaven we could become like Jesus, but I'm not sure that's what God's plan was. I'm quite sure it was not his plan because God came from heaven to this earth to cause you to become born again. And that's not a joke. You can honestly become born again and become a new creature in Christ Jesus but what we need to be encouraged to believe is when we become born again, we have taken on the very nature and the very spirit of Jesus. We have acquired the DNA of God himself. And then as a Christian, we can become godly and, become, and we can become godlier. And with that in mind, the Lord let me understand even more than that, that we as a Christian who become born again ought to believe that that we have embarked upon a new career, that you should see your Christian experience as a career. I did. I was 20 years old when I really became born again. I became a professing Christian as a little child. And I became a Mennonite in my church. I became a member of the church. But I really wasn't born again through an act of my will until I was 20 years of age. And when I became born again, I embarked upon a totally new career. I gave up my job, and I became a witness for Jesus Christ, became a missionary. I gave up my, my profession, and I moved out to Minnesota from Pennsylvania. And then I stopped and think about it. If we take our Christian experience as a career, then I th think of a doctor. A doctor, he chooses to become a doctor as a career, and so he has to look at his career as a, as a practice. And of course, a, a medical doctor becomes a medical practitioner. Is that right? He's a medical practitioner. And so he's going to have to practice. And I found a scripture in the Bible. And let me read that to you. In Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, everyone 
These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. Then two verses later in verse number 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. So there's something about if you become born again, you've got to put what you receive into practice. Like a medical doctor, he practices medicine on sick people. For him to become successful, he's got to find some sick people somewhere. He'd never become a successful doctor because he has to practice his medicine on sick people. Then I wondered if, if becoming a Christian is a career, and if we have a practice, what would be our practice? Are you ready for this? Our practice would be our faith in Jesus. So if I'm going to practice my faith in Jesus, I'm going to have to discover why did Jesus come in the first place to this world? Because there was a problem in the world, right? That's why God the Father sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to save the world from the sin and the debauchery that humanity was involved in. And so if I believe that Jesus comes inside of me and I take on his DNA, his nature, I will want to do the same thing Jesus came to fulfill in the first place. He came to be an answer to the world's problem. And so if I'm going to practice my faith in Jesus, I have to understand what I have that I can practice with. What is Jesus Christ? Well, I found out that Jesus Christ is holy in character. I have acquired the DNA of his character if I became born again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Now, I still have my mind on the subject of the altar of God, and I'm going to come back to that again. But in the meantime, I'm going to try to explain to you our Christian walk is much more real than just coming to church and hearing a preacher preach an interesting message to you. I always believe that if I'm going to hear the message of God, it's going to, it's going to affect me. It's going to keep making me become more godly or godlier than what I was before because I want to fulfill the Father's plan. The same reason Jesus came as a child born of a virgin named Mary, he was a child, he became an adult, and he began doing all the works of his father. People would ask him, where did you get all this information? Where did you get this power? He says, my father gave it to me. Who is your father? He said, when you see me, you see my father, for I and my father are one. And God really wants us to come to that place in our faith. He wants you to believe that when you became born again, you have acquired the DNA, the very spirit of your heavenly father and that when you do what you do you do it also because of your faith in Jesus Christ or your faith in God and so I find this scripture in James 1 be ye doers of the word and not hearers only then he says faith cometh by hearing hearing by the word of God 
And now the just shall live by faith. So if we're going to be living in this world, we're going to be faith practitioners, like a medical doctor is a medical practitioner. We are practicing our faith on people. In other words, when somebody gets sick in your family, you don't have to think of only aspirins to give rid of their headache. You should think also of praying a prayer in Jesus' name and expect a miracle of healing because you have the Spirit of God. You must practice your faith in God. And if you've got aspirins, okay, give them an aspirin too. <laughs> God won't mind because aspirins do help headaches at times. Uh, but you don't have to trust only in aspirin since you are now a God figure. You are a Jesus figure in this world. You have his DNA. Do what Jesus did, and you can do it. You can practice your faith in Jesus. By the way, most of us, when we start our practice in, in our faith in God, we usually sense our weak, weakness. And I studied that word weakness in the Bible, and that was a great help to me to discover that God actually celebrates our, our weakness. He wants us to know that, that, he's not, that we should not be afraid of our weakness. We, we should be concerned about it and not be, be afraid of it. In other words, I discovered a scripture that says that Jesus himself was crucified through weakness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4, it says, For though he was crucified through weakness... We all say the word weakness. You may say that. They allow that in Minnesota. Say weakness. weakness. Good, thank you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we, then he says, for we also are weak in him. But we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Our faith enters the mix from here on, when you become the born again, then you become a faith practitioner once you become saved. You're not just a church member. You come to church to be instructed, to be taught how to walk the way Jesus walked so that we can be Jesus' people, godly people. Our faith enters the mix from here on. And verse 5 of the same chapter says, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you be reprobates. So the fact that Jesus Christ is in me, I have the potential of doing godly works. I can look in the scripture and see what Jesus did, and the fact that Jesus said the works that I do, the same you can do also. So that's why I came to the conclusion that God's not looking for people to do it the right way. He's only looking for people to do it. Just do it. You can only get better at it. You can't get worse. You'll stay the way you are if you don't do anything. <laughs> don't stay the way you are. Do something. You can only get better at it if you do it. You don't have to wait to know how to do it. Just do it. Do it in your weakness, because through your weakness, God's strength is made perfect. When you do it in obedience to God's word, then God's spirit clicks in. When he sees you obedient to his word, you're doing what Jesus said you should do or could do, then we do it, 
And we think, I don't know how to do it. God knows you don't know how to do it. That's why he chose to come inside of you, anoint you with his spirit, so he could do it through you. You like that? That's so helpful. I look back over my past 89 years of life in this world, and all the things that I've seen in my life in the past that some people think I did a lot of great things for God, and I, I look at myself and think, I didn't hard to do anything great for God, because almost everything that was a miracle in my life came at a time when I felt I was so unworthy, I was unprepared, I was not equipped at that time, I wasn't ready for it, I wasn't prayed up, I wasn't in a spiritual condition that I thought would qualify me for God to answer a prayer. But I discovered that God did it only because of my obedience. I think of the many times I've been to Israel and the many unusual miracles that happened in Israel and also in Romania. And I look back and some of the most amazing things that happened came at a time. It just shocked me. How come that happened? I wasn't, I wasn't spiritually prepared for that to happen. But then I discovered that God is not looking for me to be spiritually prepared. He's looking for my obedience. If you just do it, just go there and do it. Not just go there, but do what God said you can do it. And I'm encouraging right now, I'm on, the, I'm on, on a mission at, at my older age, at the age of 89 right now. I'll be 90 this year. But I want to go all over America to the churches and tell church people to quit waiting to know how to do it. Just start doing it. There's something going to happen in our country. It's going to come shortly, not too far off from now. It's going to be dramatically disastrous to the, the majority of humanity. It may be that we'll lose the power grid, because I saw on television that China and also Russia has the capability of knocking out our power grid off of the, the, the North American area. That would mean there'd be no electrical power over the whole country. Just stop and think how you would want to live without no electrical power available. It would make people panic. But God's people, the church people, are the most enlightened people. They're the people that will not panic because they will know what to do. They're connected to the Creator. They have the Creator's Spirit in them. And so the Lord put a strong urge upon me to, when I sold Christian Retreat Strawberry Lake last fall, to prepare myself to go into the country and speak to church-going people, not just Christians, but church-going people, people that go to church, and tell them how they can prepare themselves, get ready for what's going to be happening upon our society. And we're not going to be surprised when it happens because we know that we're ready for the judgment of God. I'm happy to hear about you folks up here in this part of Minnesota are preparing for revival. That's a proper thing to be doing. Prepare, preparing for a God encounter. God, you're going to show us something. And perhaps my saying some of these words to you is part of it. So I want to show to you that the altar of God is not the place between the front pew and this podium. The altar of God is at the tip of your tongue. The altar of God is where God is located. God is located in his temple. Know ye not, know ye not, ye are the temple. Know ye not, know ye not, ye are the temple. 
Know ye not, know ye not, ye are the temple, ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. That's your body. And you actually, if you take Jesus as your Lord, you actually have the capability of enthroning God in his temple. So if he's in you and you are his temple, this means if you do what the word says in John 1.1, John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. So when you confess the words of Jesus, what God's, when Jesus said you can do what he was doing, if you do it, don't wait till you know how to. You don't have to know how to. Just do it. That's where I want to get across to you this morning. <laughs> I want to get across to you. Don't wait, because I know you live in America. In America, everybody said, no, you've got to go to school first. I'd have never become a missionary if I'd have obeyed my, my pastor of my church in Pennsylvania when I was 20 years old. No, I was 22 at that time. And I was telling the people, I'm going to move to Minnesota from Pennsylvania. I'm going to be a missionary on the White Earth Indian Reservation with my uncle. Everybody said, oh, no, you're too young. You just got married two years ago. And I understand your wife is pregnant. You want to have a baby. You can't be a missionary. Not, not yet. And I went to my pastor of our church. He was a Mennonite pastor. Oh, no, you haven't, gone to, you haven't got no, no training you haven't gone to any school to learn how to be a missionary. I couldn't find that anywhere in the Bible. That says you should go to school and learn how to be a missionary. They say that anywhere in the Bible. I was reading the Bible that time already, and, but they were telling me, no, you're not prepared. You're not ready to be a missionary. You had a job in a factory. You had a paycheck every week. There's no factories out in the north woods of Minnesota that you, that you learned how to do. How are you going to make a living? <coughs> you're going to always be a poor person if you're a missionary. And that was partly, partly correct. But anyway, uh, I, I, I couldn't believe him. I mean, it, was, it sounded good. He said, wait till you get older and you'll get a pension from your job. Then you'll have money to work with when, when you're older. And anyway, I can't open this bottle. Somebody give me, just, I've got a glass of water down there. Yeah, here's my caregiver. This is Brother Tim. Thank you, Tim. There you go. Thank you. My three fingers are sleeping on my right hand. I can't get them awake. That was for me. So my, 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 my voice won't tickle when I'm talking. But anyway, I'm excited about what I understand today. And I'm most excited about the fact that, that God has invested within me his own DNA that actually I believe I'm becoming more and more like Jesus and less and less like Gerald Durstein. G G Gerald really is his problem, and he knows it. Me is me problem, but me don't panic anymore now because me has learned who me answer is. Me answer is Jesus Christ, and me knows where he's located. He's in my heart, into my heart, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today. Come in to You ever hear that song? Did you ever wonder what he's doing there? But do you believe he's alive while he's in your heart? You should think about that. What's he doing in your heart if he's there? <laughs> he's waiting for you to acknowledge that he's alive. Alive, alive. 
alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive. <clears throat> Honestly, he is. But he can only prove that, that he's alive, if you will do what he says you should do. Can you all say, do? <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> Come on. Quit being the way you are. Quit staying the way you are. Quit being the way you were for so long. God wants you to change and become what he wants you to become. Because he is dwelling in you and at the tip of your tongue, when you do or speak the words of what Jesus said you can do, you're going to see the hand of God, even in your weakness. I found so many scriptures where the Apostle Paul talked about his weakness, and he overcame his weakness by just doing the will of the Father, doing the works of God. I think that's on those scriptures. Jot it down here if I can quote some here for you. For in Proverbs 2 and verse... It, 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 it's Philippians 2, 13... For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Verse 14 says, Do all things without murmurings and disputings. <clears throat> then he says in 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 9, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, the Apostle Paul said, Will I rather glory in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may rest upon me? Therefore... I take pleasure in infirmities, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. That seems so impossible to believe that way. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, after the, uh, the writer of Hebrews talks about all these great men of faith in, the, in that chapter, then after he quotes about what great warriors they were of faith, the apostle declared, he says, out of weakness, they were made strong. So I'm saying this, be willing to admit you're weak. The weak part of you is your humanity. When you became born again, you're not only human anymore. You have divinity inside of you when Christ comes in. So if you always keep saying, well, I'm only human, you know, that's not totally the truth. You are, you are human, but you're also godly when Jesus Christ comes in, when you became born again. So you have divinity in you. So what do you trust in the most, your divinity or your humanity? Well, nobody's perfect, you know. We all got our faults. How many times do you hear that preached? We all have our faults. Nobody's perfect. Look, don't tell me that, preacher. I knew that before I came into this, this auditorium that we have our faults. We want you to tell us how we can overcome our faults and become what we don't want to remain to be as we've been. So God has allowed us to have <clears throat> this. And here the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 3, he said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. The Apostle Paul is saying he was with them in weakness. He recognizes weakness. I personally recognize my weakness but I don't boast in my weakness. I know I am weak in myself. And <clears throat> God has allowed me to see a lot of changes in my life by my confession, that if I speak what God's Word says, I'll become what I speak. 
I was in the doctor's office just this past Friday. I like talking to medical doctors. I have quite a few anymore since I had my heart attack. <laughs> and they gave me medications, and I'm sure they're going to go back to the doctor, and they checked me over with different things. But I get talking to them, and I tell them I'm a doctor too. I'm a doctor of divinity. And I get telling them about but how, how I'm getting better all the time. And they can't understand why I don't take any pain pills. But the kind of situation I was in, I should have had a lot of pain. I don't have any pain, but, and they don't figure that out. I tell them, I'm only getting better. I keep improving. And they want to hear more about it, so I start preaching to them about Jesus. Had a good time just the other day on Friday with my doctor in Detroit Lakes. And he forgot, almost forgot about his time and spent a lot of time with me, wanted to hear more. Wanted to hear more I was telling him about. I have a doctor in Florida, and he said, Mr. Durstein, you take care of my spiritual needs, and I'll take care of your physical. He's my cardiologist. He likes to hear me talk about these things, too. We've got to understand that as a Christian, we're always improving. You don't have to tell people when they ask you, how are you? You tell them you're fine. I said that for years. I'm just fine. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm wonderful. But after I said that, I realized I didn't say the total truth. I was fine in two areas, but three other areas I wasn't fine in. So I asked God the question, what should I tell people when they ask me, how am I? How are you doing this morning? How are you doing today, Mr. Durstein? And God told me, tell them you're improving. And I thought about that. I thought that's a, good, that's a good word. I'm improving. So when I go to the bank and the teller says, how are you, Mr. Durston? I said, I'm improving. Oh, was something wrong with you? Were you sickly? Or are you just coming out of some situation? I said, no. I said, would you like to know how to improve? Yes. How do you improve? I tell them, stay alive. <laughs> I said, we improve with age. Oh, you mean kind of like wine? You got it. That's true. However, You've got to stay connected to the vine. Do you know who the vine is? And if they're a born-again believer, they light up like a light bulb. Oh, that's Jesus. But if they're not a believer, they'll have to say, no, who's the vine? I said, his name is Jesus. So you stay connected, you'll always improve. You can walk away, but they won't forget you anymore. They'll remember you. <laughs> I don't know how many times have told, told me that in the banks or in the post office. Oh, that's neat. I never heard that before. No, you never heard it before, because I, I never heard it before until God gave it to me. And I, wanna, I want all the believers all over the world to start saying that. You will improve if you start believing it. But if you confess what you feel, you are confessing your humanity, not your divinity. I, don't, I feel bummed today. Oh, that's what you believe in? Yeah, that's what I'm feeling. That's the way I am. Oh, you am that way now? Yes, I am. And you want to stay that way? Just keep telling people that's the way you am. Uh, but you have a right. If you have the DNA of God, you have Jesus in you, you can tell people you're improving. Even though you don't feel good, you can honestly say, I'm improving because I know that Jesus in me is making me change from the worst to the better. I'm improving. And because you confess that, you will, imp you will improve. You'll become stronger and younger more improved. Can you say amen to that? 
Coming back to the altar of God again, I, I want you to understand that no matter what happens in the world, if the negative starts getting greater and greater, start understanding that God's power is at the tip of your tongue because you're a believer in Jesus and you have divinity that you're coping with. I mean, you have God's spirit within you, but you must act and speak out what you believe. If you believe only your humanity, then you'll talk about your troubles and your sorrows and your hurts. And because you say them with your mouth, that's the way you'll stay. But if you say what you believe, I have a new saying now, too. Some people ask me, Brother Durstein or Mr. Durstein, that they know I'm already 89 years old. You're looking good for your age. I hear that said to me. And God told me, but I want you to know something, sir. I feel a whole lot better than what I look. <laughs> and they look at me, what did you say? I said, I feel a lot better though than what I look. You want me to explain? Yeah, explain. I like to explain this to them. I said, I happen to know that there's one that lives in me that's a creator of the universe. He's a healer of my physical ailments in my body. He's a savior of my soul. He has a name. His name is Jesus. And because I know this, this makes me feel a whole lot better than what I look. When you see me, you're only seeing the shell that this one who I believe in lives inside of me. And because I know who he is, what he is, it makes me feel good. <laughs> I feel a lot better than what I look. You may say that. They allow that in Minnesota. <laughs> you can say that too to people. They want you to explain it if you do. But anyway, the altar of God is where God's throne is. God's throne is where I make him my Lord, my, my God. And so try to keep this in mind. No matter what happens, make your confession a praise to God all day long. Thank you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. You're wonderful. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Keep thanking him because he thrives on praises. God loves to hear you praise him, thank him, be grateful in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning him. So may the Lord bless you. I want to bring this to a close. And I want you to understand, don't be a frightened Christian. Don't be afraid. Confess what God says you can, what you are, who you are. Confess who you are, and God will back up your confession. Yes. I think of my children, all my children, we, we, we raised them. We, we, we were brought up in the Mennonite church, and uh, we weren't taught these things that I'm teaching today. But we were practicing them when we were young, my wife and I, and when they would get sick, we would always believe that God could heal them, even though we had to see a doctor or give them some kind of a medicine. But we got so used to praying for them that they got so accustomed to our prayers that whenever any of my children would get sick, they'd come to mother or to, to father, pray for me, I don't feel good, I got a fever, I feel sick in my stomach, and they wanted to put hands on them and pray for them, and they knew that they had to go to bed then and rest. And they knew that when they get awake, they'd be healed. We weren't sure, but we were trying to practice our faith in our ignorance. But we saw many times they got healed. And we were kind of surprised ourselves. But we were just practicing our faith. 
Remember, you are a faith practitioner, just as real as a medical doctor is a medical practitioner who practices medicine on sick people. Christians thrive on problematic people. If you want to be a happy Christian, you've got to find somebody with a problem. Some of you are married to one. <laughs> They're not that far away. And you can practice on the one you're married to. <laughs> you like that thought? Come on. If they're complaining all the time, cheer them up. Cheer them up with some joy. Cheer them up with some faith. Cheer them up with some peace or some love. You got it. You have Jesus. He is the answer to every problem. And he dwells in you. He has quickened your spirit. You are now marinated with the spirit of Jesus Christ when you became born again. Try to believe that. And then just keep on doing the right thing. Don't wait for you to know how to do it. Just do it. You can only get better at it. You cannot get worse. It's not possible to get worse if you do it. If you do it, you can only get better at it. That's an important thought. Think about that. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the joy of understanding. Give us understanding, Father. Help us to understand and be willing to be a practicing believer that we will do what you said we can do. We will do it because your word says we should do it. You said in everything give thanks, and we will give thanks, even though it's hurting in our hurtful manner. We will give thanks, expecting Jesus, your word, to be fulfilled. And we give you thanks that you'll bless this congregation, bless every mother, every father, every boy, every girl, and help us to be willing to get off of our blessed assurance and quit staying the way we've been and become what you are making us to be. For you're making us to be an example of your righteousness, example of your goodness, example of your holiness. We give you thanks, Father, for the joy of living, walking in your ways, and we'll thank you for it all in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for letting me share with you. I want to say, too, that I'm so grateful that God blessed me in my older age to find a wife. I was single for two years, and I thought a man at 89 years old, he could not fall in love again. You mind my telling you this real quick? Can't, you can't fall in love. I thought I couldn't fall in love. How did, how did, I don't even know how to, how to fall in love. I don't know how to do it. It's been so long ago since I did that, and I... And I and I thought, nobody's going to want this old man. I'm too old. <laughs> Until I met an old Episcopal priest, Episcopalian. He was v v visiting us in Florida, and he said, Brother Durstein, just because you're 88 years old doesn't mean you're too old to find a wife again. I've known some men that got married in their 90s, and they're happily married for the rest of their lifetime. Don't think you're too old. I said, you're the first man that told me that. Because I've been thinking, I'm, nobody's going to want a man my age. No, he said, there's somebody out there that would be happy to be with you and keep thinking different. And I began to think different. And I thought, but how in the world would I approach a woman at my age? I don't want to say, you're kind of cute. I think I love you. <laughs> I, that doesn't, doesn't fit my mouth. And, and then I had to pray about it. I said, Lord, show me what should I say. Because, because there's one girl, that I, one woman I was kind of observing but I was quite sure I was way too old for that woman I was observing, but I knew her. And I had some other women that were kind of interested in me, I could tell, and they were bothering me. And I don't want to get bothered too many more years. I want to get rid of that bother. 
And so the Lord told me, he gave me a word. Use this word, Gerald, when you meet that woman. I like that word. Would you like for me to give that word to you? But you've got to be at least 88 years old to use this word. It won't work if you're much younger. <laughs> he gave me a word, and then I, then I had the nerve to ask this woman out for a meal at a restaurant. And she went with me to get a nice steak restaurant, a, a, a meal, which I paid for. She was very nice, but I didn't have the nerve to use that word the first time. And I thought, well, I'm going to try it again the second time. So about a month after, when I asked her again to go to the same restaurant. And this time, I'm going to try to have the courage to use that word that God told me to use. Because I didn't want to say, I think you're cute. I think I love you. I think we ought to get interested in each other. I didn't know how to say that. But that God said, don't use those words. Here's the word that you use. You ready for it? So when we were eating our meal, I looked at Shirley, that's her name, I said, Shirley, do you think we are compatible? Whoa! <laughs> that's the word, compatible. Now, some of you don't know what that word means. She didn't say any answer for a, for a while, she just looked at me. I said, do you know what that word compatible means? And she shook her head, yes. I said, do you think we're compatible? And she said, yes, I think we are. That's all I had to have. Then I knew we were ready to get married. <laughs> then, then I already had a date set. I said, this date, on March the 12th, I think we should get married. Is that all right with you? It's kind of quick, she said. It was only two weeks later. And, uh, but anyway, I knew she was married already 50 years, and I was married 67 years. Add them together, that's 117 years of marriage experience between us. Didn't have to waste a lot of time getting acquainted with each other. You know what you do when you're married, and, and so she seemed to understand that real quick, too, and we got married March the 25th. So Shirley, stand up and say hello. God bless you. Thank you very much. Excuse me for being so long on this, this, this sermon. I held your people up here. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'll say a little bit more in just a moment. Uh, but if we have our ushers come forward with our offering plates, we are going to receive an offering for the Dursteins. And uh, I know they're involved in ministry in Israel and in... Uh, Romania and many other places, actually. And so uh, the giving that we give... This, this offering is a mission offering. This goes for the work in, in Israel, yes. For the work in Israel. Israel Affairs International is something that Gerald and Shirley are involved with very much also. And so we're going to do that... If you make out a check, make it out to Ten Strike Community Church, and then we'll gather those together in, a, in one check for them. So, we'll let you go. We'll give, we'll give you just a moment to write out checks, I guess. But um, also, I was going to clarify, this is Tim, not Steve. Tim. And, uh, wow, there's so much to, to chew on from that message Brother Gerald, uh, we, we are going to have that in a couple days. That'll be online, um, maybe even by tomorrow, <clears throat> so that you can hear it again. That's one of those messages that 
to listen to again and again. I think you can go now and receive those. So uh, I have it on my heart to have prayer for you. As I was sitting there, Lord, what do you want me to do? And you know what Gerald was talking about, being obedient, that is so good. It is so important, faithful, to be faithful. That's right. Every day in obedience, just, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's one of the things he's doing in us, I believe. He's speaking to us what to do when I get up in the morning, you know, each day, and then planning a week or a month, but each day. Well, right now, I believe we're to pray for you. And uh, Jim, are you here still? Jim Landis? Would you come up here? And then uh, we'll have all of you stand with us. If there are others that would like to come around, and we can come behind the Dursteins and in front here, we'll just let you stay right where you are. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but we're going to just have a prayer. I'm going to have Jim lead. Jim is... Jim's father knew Gerald well. In fact, Brother Gerald was in in Jim's home when he was growing up. Uh, had had meetings there, I believe, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, and his father Mark. The book "Following the Fire" is is really Put a good book, and it tells about all these things that that happened. And by the way, the the music. How do we get that? Do you have them with you? They're in the back? Okay, mm -hmm. so if you want one of those, it's on the Welcome Center table. You'll be back there. But I'm going to have Tim, uh, Jim lead us in a word of prayer over you here now uh, for these days. For this, Gerald told Joyce and I last fall when we met with him that he's he has a new mission now. As he had, they had sold, we're selling Strawberry Lake. But now there's a new mission, and we saw some of that right here today. And, and I can so see that there's a, a new fire that Gerald has refired, rekindled yeah, for this, this part of his life, and now his wife, Shirley. And uh, we're thankful for Tim as well and his role. But Jim, lead us in that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hmm. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I just thank you so much, yes. Father God, how you using your servants here. So we just add the blessing to Gerald and Shirley now. As they have come here and shared and given of themselves, we give of what's inside of us to them. In Jesus', Jesus. name. Amen. May peace and safety and the Spirit of the Lord just rise up in greater measures. As much as it's been great in the past, the best is yet to come. Amen. Says the Lord. Yes. Amen. Yes, in it Jesus' is. name. And we just impart that. And we thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name. I'll take this word that's been sowed into our hearts here. May we guard it, respect it, and water it by the Spirit of the Lord. You help us, Holy Spirit, we ask. In Jesus' name. Thank Amen. you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Everybody in agreement Praise said? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank Hallelujah. You. Thank you, Jim. I'm going to have Brother Gerald and Shirley come with me, and Shirley, you can go to the table then, and Gerald will come and greet. We'll have you greet the folks as they leave.
you here and just God bless you all and keep you in this week. Give it just a moment to get back there.